All right, time to play. Oh, sorry, Gilbert. Do you want to do your quick little dumb intro thing? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Catching Foxes. Here at Catching Foxes, we bring you riveting content like the Masturbation Man from episode 50... 59. 59. 59. Uh, So we have on the line the wonderful Everett Fritz. Everett, I don't know if I've told you this story, but every time you said the word masturbation on our show, speaking about your wonderful book, Freedom, which I shouldn't be crapping on... uh, we uh, someone sent us a message on Patreon, and they said because uh, I put a little chime every time you said the word. This wonderful, pleasant little chime would come on, and someone said to me that they were in Italy. Uh, it might have been a seminarian at the knack, and they said that the same noise for the masturbation comment was also the chime for a new train arriving in the Italian uh, train station. And so every time he would hear it, he'd be like. Oh, Everett Fritz. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely. You yes. know, if there's one thing that I want to be known for on the internet, that's that's it. Uh, I think you, uh, yeah. I was afraid that after that episode, I would be known as the masturbation man. And thankfully, you're the only one who calls me that. So, uh, <laughs> incessantly, yes, incessantly, <laughs> daily, even. I call your house, I send you letters. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also on the, the show today, we have Kelsey S. Coke. Just kidding. Uh, Kelsey Scope, <laughs> who is a wonderful Focus missionary. You are a regional director for Focus now? I was. You were. Oh. Yes. Oh. Were. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you make staring mad? at your, <laughs> name, name. At your focus, focus bio. But... No, no. I, I was a regional director for five years. Gosh, that's crazy to think about. Yep. But now working in marketing, um, kind of helping out in that side, less travel for, you know, having kids and raising a family. And now you will be known as the porn woman. No purity. I, yeah. I porn girl is actually what people refer to me in focus. So. Oh God. <laughs> when, when does it get to be a bit much? Huh? <laughs> Never one for subtleties. That's that a focus group. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's more that I actually started calling myself that when people would say like, oh, what do you do in focus? I was like, oh, well, I'm also the porn girl. So I like if you put it on yourself, then it becomes less awkward. All right, here's the deal. You ain't got no staff, no time and certainly no budget to make creating compelling content for social media in any way a priority. So what do you do as a Catholic parish? Probably what most parishes do, and you just copy and paste things straight from your bulletin page onto your Facebook page. Man, that ain't no way to live. And yet, all the millennials, Gen Xers, and even grumpy, fussy baby boomers are online like 24-7, which means your church can be online like 24-7. And they don't just want you to have a presence online. They want it to be good. Like, like really, really good. That's why Catholic Social Media exists. You subscribe to them, and they hook you up with daily social media posts that you can personalize for your parish without their, like, logo all over the stuff. You know, like when you illegally pull stuff from Google Image Search, and it has other people's logos all over everything? Not that I've ever done that. I am as pure as the morning dew. Catholic Social.media is a Catholic company with Catholic artists, designers, writers, and videographers coming up with the very best stuff for your parish. And you can look like a genius and save time and money. Head on over right now to try.catholicsocial.media. Apparently, the design nerds over there are big fans of Catching Foxes, and they created a free trial with a discount code FOXES for you just to try out their stuff and see if it's a good fit for your parish. That's a free trial with the promo code FOXES over at try.catholicsocial.media. Special thanks to catholicsocial.media for sponsoring this show. Because y'all just recently co-authored a book together. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uncompromising purity. It's not just a guy problem. Kelsey, why? Uh, so both of you are authors. Do both of you write the whole thing? I mean, like, how, how does that work, co-authoring? <laughs> right? Because I would feel like, it's my book. Don't you dare touch it. I don't have, I have no humility. Well, so so it happened a few years ago where Everett and I ran into each other at a Catholic conference here in Denver and both talking about very different things. But at the end of his keynote, he shared that he had this book called Freedom, which was a, you know, a book for pornography, masturbation struggles for men. And knowing that I do this with women in focus, and I was about to give another talk at UT Austin for women on this issue, I just went up to him after his talk, thanked him for what he did in his ministry, and I asked him if there was a female version. And he said, no, but you know, I've had so many requests 
guests for one. Um, and then of course I mentioned that I do it for women within focus and outside of focus. And, um, I think just from there, we went and had coffee together. I shared my story and he really encouraged me to kind of put what I was doing in ministry on paper. Cause I, yeah, I never considered writing a book at all. Um, so he really kind of paved the way and showed me how to do it, how to, you know, put my stories and everything I was feeling and thinking into words. Um, but then also we originally co-wrote it and actually did, what was it, Everett, two rewrites over the past two years, like full, complete rewrites to get it right. Yeah, we, uh, I thought that this would be the easiest book I ever wrote because I would only have to write <laughs> uh, like a, a small portion of it. Uh, and in actuality, it took twice as long uh, to, to really get the book right. Because it started, I mean, for me, Kelsey's right. Like, we, I kept getting the request. Like, the biggest request I got uh, on my book was, we need a female version. And I'm like, I agree. I, I know the problem's out there, but I don't understand the the feminine side of it. And I certainly don't have the credibility. So I had actually, like, right before that conference where I met Kelsey, I had been praying and said, Lord, if you want, if you want me to be involved with this project or you want me to write it or whatever, you're going to have to send me a co-author. Uh, and, and I had ha- recently had breakfast, I think with Sarah Swafford and asked her about it, uh, who did the forward on our book actually. And she said, yeah, this book is needed. I don't have the personal testimony to go with it. And then Kelsey like fell out of the sky. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that really was, Whoa! it really was like one of these things where, back. where she, she basically introduced herself and said, have I got a story? I mean, you know, let me tell you my story. And the, as we sat down, I, I said, I don't know how it all started, but essentially we, we said, well, let's see what happens if I was like, I can give the general advice and a man's perspective on this issue could be really interesting, but I don't have the credibility. I don't have the story. And it started as us sharing and kind of going back and forth. And really as, as it materialized, the final edit is, is for the most part, Kelsey's voice. Uh, and I think that that was, for me, it was really important to say, you know what, this really is like needs, uh, needs Kelsey's voice behind it. Um, so I, uh, I've got little chunks here and there in, in chapters that I that I wrote, but I'm only credited with uh, with I think one chapter in the book that is is actually from a, the male perspective. So, so uh, Kelsey, how do you like? So this is a topic. It's I, I feel like in the past maybe three to five years there has been this shift where we're more open to talking about um, women's um, their own addictions to pornography. Uh, and be able to talk about um, masturbation and, and all this stuff in a way that um, just just to like really put it that you know that um doesn't scandalize people because I feel like there was always this like weird um fear around that or this you know we don't oh, want to go it's there. It's Voldemort. That's that's what I, yeah. I say. It's like yeah. this is Ooh. not Voldemort, okay. ladies. Like Unpack people that. are afraid of saying the words. <laughs> yeah. Um, why? Why do you think that is? Oh. <laughs> Well, so think about pornography masturbation from a men's side. It's There's so much shame and embarrassment, even though it's talked about constantly. And men kind of like, it's just not along. Like we all know this is something that we're all struggling with. And I love the story. Um, I don't know if it was Audrey Saad who said it, but essentially said that pornography masturbation for men is like being in a, in, you know, a community prison where you're all in it together, but you're also still in shackles. Whereas for women, it's an issue where you're in solitary confinement. Like you, you're all in prison, but you have no idea that anyone else is there alongside you. And so you're just so isolated and alone. And since women aren't talking about this because of the shame and fear, um, you're, you're even more afraid of bringing it up because no one else could possibly struggle with this like you do. Um, you know, Sarah Swafford talks about how she used to talk to women and they would say, I don't even sin in a feminine way, right? Like people, because our culture just says, oh, this is a men's issue. Women don't struggle with it. Most women who do struggle with it all just assume they're alone in it. And statistically, this is not (laughs) – I'd say the majority of women struggle with this, not the minority. And so it's just coming out now that this is more more common. And I think just being more boldly to explain it and express that this is something you go through. Because I've talked to priests who are so thankful that this book is finally out. And they would say, I talked to a priest last week and he said, Kelsey, about 50% of my confessions have this as part of a female confession. And to be honest, I didn't confess the sin um, for about eight years of my struggle with it. So I was just like, so the other 50%, you know, there's a good majority of those who aren't even sharing it in their confession. You know, having to give talks on pornography and all this stuff with my own past in it, one of the statistics that they would talk about 
that happened, you know, in 2005, it was like men's, the average age of exposure of pornography in like 1995 was like, you know, 11 years old for boys and, you know, 17 years old for girls. And the girls who were exposed to were like, you know, 30% of girls. But then by 2005, when I started working in um, at St. Anthony's in, in Life Teen Youth Ministry, their whole thing was, it was like parody. It was, they, girls and boys were both exposed because of the internet to hardcore explicit pornography at the age of like 11. And it was almost neck and neck of like, the boys were like 50% and the girls were like 48%. And I started to notice that all of these Catholic conferences and retreats for the men's, the biggest thing was purity. And it was for the love of God, stop looking at porn in every men's session. And then I would talk to the women afterwards and, you know, all, all the men are like, okay, yeah, that's us. And then you would talk, go to the women's session and they were like, I am a child of the father. I am a daughter of the king. <laughs> and then that was it. Pretty, right? pretty princess. <laughs> yeah. And, but it was women giving those sessions, but it was women who came from, you know, I mean, literally t- just 10 years older and it's a totally different situation for so many women right culturally and then oh, you yeah. find you find this huge shift but the the freaking youth ministry took forever to address it and i gave the first Steubenville youth conference um at uh, the Steubenville mid-america i did the first um pornography talk to as a keynote Right. So there, I mean, not the first like ever that they, but that season, um, that summer was the first time they ever had a mixed, um, a mixed, uh, pornography session talk. And I had a line that was, you know, 50 people deep right by the stage after I gave my talk and 90% of them were women. And one of them was a nun and they all came up to me and they were like, thank you for saying that. I've been struggling with this in the dark for so long. I'm so, I'm triply embarrassed. I only, you know, I know it must be embarrassing for men, but for women, we're not allowed to have this sin. So yep. it, it was shocking to me that, well, one, a nun, I never thought a nun would ever admit that to chubby old me, but, uh, they, she said that and I was like, what? And then, so she just started talking and she's like, I'm alone. I'm not in my community. Um, I'm out doing this apostolate and 90% of my apostolates on the internet because I'm the youngest nun of my order and I am so lonely. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so, yeah. So anywho, uh, I don't know, like maybe speak to that, what it was like growing up in a Catholic world that didn't mention it. Yeah, I think for me it was um, because it was never mentioned, to be honest, I thought I, I rationalized a lot of what I was doing as not pornography because, you know, I wasn't going to the X-rated stores and I wasn't looking it up necessarily online. And that's what I talked to too. Like there are different kinds of pornography that are still equally harmful and can feed your addiction, especially when it comes to masturbation. And so the church, you know, not only do they not talk about it, they don't even get to the specifics of what is pornography and how it can harm you. They just say, don't look at it. And so then that kind of leaves people to just define it themselves. And kind of, for me, was saying, oh, I'm not doing what I think is pornography. Like I'm not looking at a Playboy magazine, so I'm okay. But I was actually looking up sex scenes on YouTube. And so it's like, um, that's still pornography, but I didn't know that. Um, And so it fed my addiction and I didn't really understand it. But there was also the idea that, I mean, I talked... (laughs) even my first year as a missionary going to training, um, they had a chastity day of training and unfortunately scheduling or whatnot, the men went to a pornography talk and the women went to an emotional chastity talk. And it was just this, this feeling as a first year missionary thinking, shoot, like this is something that's been a part of my story. I've been seeking freedom. You know, I'm, I'm overcoming this, but I don't even know, like the way that they're separating these talks, I still don't feel like there's a place for me. And that wasn't until the next year where they, similar to you, had a combined men's and women's pornography talk, a men's and women's emotional chastity talk. And even then, no matter how many statistics were thrown at us, they just would say at the end, oh yeah, and women struggle with this too. Um, And so it wasn't until my third summer, so this was five years ago, where I, you know, went up to the speaker and said, can you just put my name and phone number at the end of a slide so that if any female missionary is struggling with this, they can reach out to me. Um, And it wasn't until the slide came up that I actually understood all the men, male missionaries in that room now think that or know that I have a struggle with pornography and masturbation. Um, So it was one of those things like slowly but surely I felt so alone. No one was talking about it. But it was that 
that feeling of knowing this is my story, that it has to be someone else's story too. And so I think just that knowledge and that, that desire to kind of find community is what drove me to kind of put myself on the front lines. And then it, the, the stories just started piling in. I mean, it was, I did not, I knew the people out there were struggling alongside me. I had no idea how many were. So in my twenties and in my teens, I was addicted to being in relationships and I didn't have the ability to like, just be on my own. I had to either have a crush on a girl or be dating a girl. Um, and it would have been really good for like, for like me to hear some emotional chastity stuff. Totally. And there's this weird like thing that we do where we sometimes um, – where we isolate people and we think this is the girl problem. This is the guy – This you know, like this is, this is a guy problem where there are probably things we're more predisposed to. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem for like the other sex. That was the biggest learning curve for me uh, in, in terms of writing this book is, is when we first sat down to – uh, put this together. I know the guy's side of this issue inside and out. I've lived it, uh, and, and you know, give testimony to it, and hence the the writing of the book Freedom. Uh, but my first question to Kelsey, or at least the, one of the first questions I remember asking, was I was like, "How did girls get addicted to this? Like, how did they?" Because I, I still had in my head like the the stereotypes that. You know, men are visually stimulated and women are stimulated by their relationship. And I think that there's some level of truth to that. But as we started talking through just even just stories of of how, you know, some women that Kelsey knows how they got addicted, I was like, well, that's the same way that men got addicted. And, And, you know, I started to realize that there is this separation that has happened in the way that we've talked about chastity, uh, where we've said, like, men are this way and women are this way. And it's like, no, we're both sexual. Uh, and we, we both have desires and we both have uh, can be visually stimulated. And um, women can fall into this just as much as men. You know, this the, if you're listening and you have this issue, the, the current statistics are that in our generation, uh, I'm in my 30s, so my generation is, you know, age 31 to 60. The women who have looked at pornography is something like 16%. And I think it's like women who've looked at pornography in the last month. But for age 18 to 30, it's 76% of women. So it gives you an idea of just how much wow. pornography among women has skyrocketed. And, and uh, the more I talked to Kelsey about this, it was just incredibly eye-opening for me. How um, – so you uh... – Kelsey, you had uh, talked about how, like, you just hit it, how it just opened up, it, it, it opened up the floodgates of just, just people saying, yeah, like, I have this too, I have this too, I, I like, I, I have this too. How do you, like, I, well, really, two questions. Let's just really start here. How did you find healing as a woman? Like, how did you begin to, like, find healing in this? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was actually, so I came back to the Catholic church end of high school. So when I was around 17, 18 years old. And so I came back to it from a very intellectual place, but it really never hit my heart. So intellectually I was Catholic. I went to mass again on Sundays, you know, called myself a Catholic, all those things. So when I got to college, I really didn't have experience of living out my faith very practically. And, um, the chastity talks I had been to, you know, Christina Everett's, uh, romance without regret was one of them. So I knew, okay, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. That was one big takeaway that I, I actually kept and held on to. But I, everything else, I didn't really think about it. You know, anything else goes, and that meant in all other areas of chastity with me and relationships with me and men. Um, also, my own personal purity, like all of it, didn't matter. Um, it was just, just don't have sex and I'm good. Kind of, kind of chastity understanding. So very limited. And, um, it was my junior year of college. And at this point, you know, I had begun to learn a little bit more about my faith and was falling more in love with, with Jesus and my prayer life. And so I started to wrestle, like, I don't think what I'm doing in my personal chastity is okay, but at the same time, I'm also a very stubborn person who deals with logic. That's why it took so long for me to break down the barriers of my faith. So I thought, okay, the church keeps saying, you know, this is an addiction, you know, pornography, masturbation. And in my mind, I was choosing it, right? Like masturbation was a choice of mine. It was a healthy alternative to not having sex. Like this is just a healthy release. I'm, you know, a young woman, like really what the culture tells you, like experimentation is good. Uh, all of these things are just 
improving your life. They're not hurting anyone. You're not, you know, emotionally attaching yourself to a person. You're not going to get an STD or pregnant. Like this is a safe zone is, is really the messaging I was believing. Um, and it was my junior year and I heard a guy friend of mine mentioned that he was going to give up pornography and masturbation for Lent. And I know like if it's a sin, okay, you can't give it up for Lent. But the idea was curious because I thought, you know, okay, if this really is an addiction, then I shouldn't be able to give it up easily, right? Like I won't be able to stop. So I'm, I also am going to give this up. Like I, of course, never told anyone. This was just in my own head. I'm going to give up like masturbation for Lent. And if I can do that easily, then I've proven to myself this is not an addiction and I can just do it at, at my own discretion after Lent has concluded. Like this was my thinking, right? So during Lent, first week, no problem. Don't think of it at all. Second week goes by again, same thing. Don't think about it. And then the third week hit and it was, it started just to honestly consume all of my thoughts. Like, oh my goodness, this is all I can think about. And my, like everything in my body, everything was like, this is something I need to do. And it was at that point where I realized I had addiction, that there was something in my life that was in control of me that I could not refuse. And, and I, I mean, I freaked out. I, I just realized, whoa, has this really been controlling my life? I mean, this has been since I was around 12 years old when I was exposed. And so um, at this point, you know, I'm 20, 21. And so I remember just the next day going to confession and it, it was my first confession that included the sin of masturbation. Um, and at this point I, I would have said I wasn't watching pornography, which now I've learned I was. But um, so I think it's just all of these things of uh, – I, I like to say when I tell my story, oh yeah, and that's, I would love to say, and then from there I would just, you know, clean and pure and never struggled with the sin of pornography masturbation again. But that's actually where my story of healing began because it was from that confession that I walked desiring freedom, knowing that I wasn't in control, knowing that this is something I wanted to rid myself of um, and, and really start the work that it requires to seek healing in these areas. Um so yeah, that then, so that was my junior year of college. And so going into my junior year, my senior year, starting to slowly grow time apart between falling back into the temptations. Um, prayer was a huge component of it. Going to confession regularly was a huge component. Uh, having accountability, another huge component. And, and really the steps of what I started to take in this healing is what I started to outline for our fellow missionaries when they would share with me that they struggled. And it's those steps that I, I put into a book. I put in first into a talk where I would train missionaries on how to overcome it personally and then how to help their students overcome it. And then from there, um, doing it for, for this book. So it was really just a, I mean, I had no guide. This was really just my own initiative of, okay, I know I'm not in control. I'm going to just, you know, pray through this, work on this in these ways, um, and kind of found a, a step by step process that was a very effective. One of the big things about pornography use that I've seen in men who can't seem to stop in their twenties, thirties, forties, because the big thing with my job, I just work with adults, you know, in the, in the parish. And I have now watched two marriages end because of pornography addiction. Um, and the resultant behaviors that the husband does to the wife, right? Mm -hmm. So in yeah. this case, they're, they're both men. And um, one of those women came to me, you know, this is three years ago now, I think, four years ago. And, you know, she's just in tears and she's like, am I, am I ugly? I'm not ugly. I'm not like, but for her, the pornography addiction led to a complete lack of sexual desire for his wife. And she was gorgeous, number one. Mm -hmm. And she's, but she felt worthless compared to these images. And she's like, "Why does he keep going back to him?" And so I was asking her, like, "What what have you talked about with him?" And she said that you know basically he was looking at pornography pretty regularly with VHS tapes to give you an idea of how old he is. Um, uh, with VHS tapes like daily when he was right. in high school. And one of the things that I see with high school students today and middle school students and, and the, you know, the last, you know, 15, 20 years is because of the internet, they are turning to pornography so easily. And it's such a part of youth culture now that it's their coping mechanism. So I, I was giving a talk to parents and I said, this isn't where they're going to just express their sexual desires. This is where they're going because they're tired 
or they're hungry or they're bored or they're lonely. Like this is a coping mechanism now. Yes. And that's yeah. why it's so freaking hard for so many. Like the, the studies on like alcohol addiction. If you were introduced to alcohol when you were in high school and you became an addict then, it is like 10 times harder to kick alcoholism when you're older. Whereas if you're introduced to it when you're in your 20s, it's so much easier to get – now I'm not denying anyone's struggle, but just in general because you have already developed coping mechanisms and alcohol became a vice. Whereas for many people today, like pornography – I mean I saw pornography when I was six. Right, It was a VHS tape. It was uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom dust jacket covering uh, this guy's porn that he was hiding in my brother's friend's closet. So he was hiding it from his wife by putting it in his son's closet. His son found it, thought it was Indiana Jones, and that Ugh. began you know, a, a 20-year struggle for me with pornography. Mm. Um, and, I, and I remember it. I don't remember any pornography that I've seen you know, for the most part, but I remember that to this day. And... Um, so many, so so long of my life. Like I'm thankful the internet was at dial-up speeds when I was in high school. Because, dear God, um, the stuff that's out there today. Uh, I mean, it's so easy to access. Scott Hahn one time gave a chastity talk, and he said, "The type of pornography that's available in every home is something that you could only see in like three cities in America if you knew." the right guy and you know it was connected to, like organized crime like you know like the really hardcore like you know stuff and now you just need to know the right google search terms mm-hmm. and, and not even that yeah that's the cycle yeah. is that is that uh, uh pornography targets children uh they buy websites and they yeah. do all kinds of th- you know that's somewhat well documented uh but kids Stumble upon it, whether they're interested. My eight-year-old found it, uh, which was terrifying for me. Um, but as that was his introduction to sex. So uh, he was at uh, my in-law's house. He was on their iPad and, uh, and was looking up something on Legos. And he's not a good speller. So Lord knows what, what he actually typed in. And somehow a pornography site came up. So that's becomes a child's first introduction. But then as you, as you mentioned, and this is true of men and women, it, it, like when I've talked to men about this issue uh, and it's true of men and women, like there is um, uh, usually when, when they say like, I've been struggling with this for X number of years and I can't seem to kick it. I'm like, look, this is not a habit issue. You're not, this is not an issue of, of you being weak because that's ultimately what they come down to. They're like, I'm just, I'm just so weak. I'm like, no, this is not an issue of you being weak. If it was simply an issue of you saying, I'm going to stop doing this habit, then it, it would actually be pretty simple. Likely, what you're doing is you're turning to it, as you mentioned, as a coping mechanism to feed some sort of emotional wound. And so the healing mm-hmm. process has to begin with identifying what the wound is, and it can be totally unrelated and frequently is, to sexuality. And hence the reason why we come at it from a Christian perspective, we say, let's bring Christ into the equation because he's the divine healer and that's the fastest way to healing. Um, but the wounds can be bigger, the wounds can be small, but frequently it's, it's that emotional, um, uh, you know, false comfort that comes from the, the dopamine and everything else that causes people to fall back into, to these issues and the reason why they get hooked on it for 20 plus years. Oh, I was going to say, there's also, I mean, a large majority of people I've, I've also worked with are people who don't even know when this addiction started. And so we're seeing more and more in research of men and women aged two, three years old who start this behavior and parents don't know how to handle it or, or, or you know, monitor it. And I've seen mom groups even today where they're like, oh, just tell them to go do it in the room that that's private time. Um, and just this horrible advice that kickstarts an addiction so early with that dopamine release, the oxytocin release, that you get women that I'm working with who are 14, 15 years old who come to me and say, Kelsey, I have no idea when I started doing this, but it's been a, like basically a part of my life ever since I can remember. Um, so you have not only the coping mechanism, but you just have people who have developed this uh, necessity for these essentially artificial chemical releases in their brain that you're working with yeah. as well. And I think that's that's one of the things that um, 
I think chastity speakers across the country who talk about this really need to start taking a really hard look at that you're not just talking about behaviors, you're talking about addictions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times this requires how, like the way you treat an addiction, whether that be going to SA or SAA or going to extreme therapy. Like I know some people have to go for like weekends or like weeks and their spouses have to go and it's become this thing. And it's has to be treated almost like you have a like you have it. No, like you have a disease mm-hmm. because this thing happened to addictions you are diseases. You, yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and it happened to you when you were a child. Uh, yeah, and it's no one's fault. Like it's it, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's people's, but it, it's not the last person's fault. It is is yours. Is if like when this happens to you and you're a, and you are a kid, you can't treat this as if like, um, you know, uh, it, it's 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 um, you have like you 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 have to treat it the way you would any other a addiction that starts when a person is young. You know, and and quite often you you don't blame like a person for, because like so like people who tend to turn to like alcohol, there tends to be some type of reason why they do that. They, they their parents are divorced, or there's something going on, or there are things that are happening where they're trying to like heal this wound that that they have, and like booze is a really quick way to go and to go and um, do that. And we're so quick to forgive that, but when it comes when it comes up to sex, we're not. Totally. And I, I would say that that's when I give this talk and I'm talking to women, the biggest thing I want to help women do is, is repair that shame and that's keeping them from inviting Christ into, into this mess. Like the wound and the healing, they're not even going to go there because they just, they don't even want anyone, including themselves to know that this is something they struggle with. They just push it out. And so those words, like you said, it is not your fault are crucial to the healing process, helping them understand. I have them reflect on their first exposure. And I ask them, where was Jesus in the room when you were first exposed? Like, where was he? Because a lot of times for women, they would say, oh, he's, he's not even in the room. Like he would never want to see that. Or he's, he's so ashamed of me or, um, he's horrified or whatever. And it's like, actually, no, he's weeping right behind you. He did not want this to happen to you. Like he is, he is just screaming out because of our broken world that forced this upon you and, and just helping, helping people understand that this is not their fault, that this happened to them and that Jesus is with them through this struggle, not despite it, not, you know, any of the the lies that the evil one is trying to tell them. And, um, also just to, to learn about, yeah, the chemistry of your body and what's going on. I think a lot of times, people can over-spiritualize the issue as well. Like, okay, it's it's just the devil that's making this addiction continue in my life. Like, no, there's some chemical things. And one of the biggest struggles for women is your ovulation, your time in your cycle that can trigger a temptation. And so the biggest thing I have help women work on is tracking their, their monthly cycle and helping them create a different plan of action during their time of ovulation. And I explain, you know, men are steady. They have, they have consistent temptations every single day. I work with women who can overcome addiction. And then they say this once a month hurdle, they just can't overcome. And it's, it's completely biological and it's not to hate our bodies, but to, to look at the beauty of our bodies and how can we, do we work with that to make ourselves, uh, just totally free in understanding who we are, what our sexuality is made for, but also what our bodies were made for and how they work. And so all of that goes into this. It's, 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 there's so many parts of this struggle and addiction that you have to look at. There's this weird thing that I think has happened with the whole split between uh, grace and nature with within our within the West, and we tend to talk about um, how we tend to talk about like uh, the um, how God's not in public schools, God's not in the you know it's like we've taken God out of like the public sphere. And so we talk about the basically the like isolation of nature or something or like from God or grace. But I don't think like, I think we tend to forget or we don't talk about how we've also isolated grace then. And so there's this idea that to like heal spiritual issues require or to like things um, that have like a spiritual component to them when you when you throw in the when you throw in the word sin has to have a spiritual answer. And I, of course, I believe God can heal people through like miracles, and 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 that you know like He does, and and He wants to be wants to like touch our, our He wants to touch our humanity, and quite often that involves both the spiritual and like a human come and a human come and a human component. You can't split these two, especially with a thing like pornography and masturbation, especially when you're talking about 
an addiction where your brain is literally like altered because of this. You know, like the biological makeup, like the way your brain operates has been screwed up because of the like because of because of um, this addiction. So just going, oh, I'm going to have an accountability partner and, and everything's fine. Like that's not enough. There's some real you've got to do some work and it's going to be really messy. But like when you do that, some really cool stuff happens like. Have you guys heard of this one saint that they just made? He was this Asian saint who was a doctor who was addicted to he was addicted to opiates. Opiates, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? I have. Anyone else? I have not, but I don't. I feel like I don't keep it... keep up on stuff like that. <laughs> Go ahead. So it's this dude. So back, I, I want to say like eighteen hundreds or so. You, uh, I think it was a. Chinese doctor who was, or like a Japanese um, doctor who he was like he was like Catholic, and he basically had to have surgery done, and they gave they gave him opium for the surgery, and it created this like huge addiction for him. And his spiritual director wouldn't allow him to like receive the Eucharist because he felt like he was just addicted that that he wasn't giving up this sin where you know like where like in reality. This guy was just – I mean his, his chemical makeup of his body was changed to be dependent on opium. And so they've made him – or he's on the track to become the patron saint of uh, – the patron of saint of addictions or something like that. Right, because yeah. till the day he died, he didn't receive the Eucharist, but he was still a completely faithful Catholic. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, yeah, like the story, the priest didn't understand the nature of addiction and how the culpability of that changes – changes the sin but um well it doesn't change the sin but you know it changes the uh the weight of that so he was a faithful catholic essentially adhering to his spiritual director's counsel but uh still having addiction till the day he died that's what i forgot to include the best part there that's one of the things that drives me crazy about uh just talking to, to faithful orthodox catholics in general is is really like and i i feel like i might be going off on a tangent here but like the the misunderstanding of mortal sin uh you know, I can't tell you how many people I know who, who sin sexually or with purity and whatever the case may be, masturbation, pornography, they have addictions. And, uh, and you know, then they, they feel ashamed. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to receive the Eucharist. And, and there's discernment there and, and good discernment. But um, we, we, I think, frequently forget the three different conditions of a mortal sin. You're like, oh, my gosh, I masturbated. I'm going to hell. Well, it's like, well, n- not necessarily because there's three conditions for mortal sin one is that it's grave in nature which sexual sins are uh but two you have to have full knowledge that what you're doing is wrong which if you were first exposed at a young age you did not and you have to have full consent of your will uh which if you have addictions and and uh if you have an addiction as we know that pornography changes your brain chemistry and does different things of that nature uh, you can argue that you don't have full consent of your will if you are only consenting with 99 percent of your will you know you're not completely severing your relationship with god and we should take some now does that like let you off the hook and you say okay now i'm well i, I didn't commit a mortal sin even though i master no it's like no you're still responsible for changing the behavior uh, um but I think it should give some solace and, and comfort to know that you haven't completely cut yourself off from grace uh, if you have these problems. That, like, it's part of your journey. And one of the things that I coach when I coach people who have this issue is I say, look, if you fall, learn from it. Like, where was God in those those moments? What what was it that caused you to sin? What was the feeling and emotion that, that led you into it? And, like, take notes on what caused it and then change your habit. Uh so that you you don't fall to that whatever it was that triggered you in 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 uh, like to to fall to that sin uh, from the get go. Yeah, sure. And that's why I mean, talking about freedom, most people just assume freedom is not falling into sin versus a complete freedom to follow the will of the Lord. And I mean, it, it goes so much beyond this issue. And that's um, Father Shanka Kali from. Uh, integrity restored. He talks about going to confession more regularly than you fall into the sin. So let's say this is a weekly sin for you. You should go to confession multiple times a week. And people think, oh, that's very scrupulous, you know, trying to go to confession so often. But the idea is that 
the Lord wants to do more in your life than work on this one area, that there's so many other things to, to, to wrestle with and to open your heart to. And so to go to confession more often allows yourself to not be identifying yourself through this one area of your life, to recognize there's all these other areas that the Lord wants to work on you. There's all these other parts of yourself to explore. And I think when this sin particularly comes out, people just, they, they're obsessed and just, they fixate on it rather than acknowledging there's so many other things to, to walk, walk with the Lord in. Um, and so I always recommend women to do that, men to do that, uh, to be fully healed and to have freedom does not just mean to not fall into the sin of masturbation or porn. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really think it's time that like, uh, the, I think the one of the points that we've just been, um, hammering in here and this is, this is people have started to do this, especially of other Sean kill, kill Collie over at in, Integrity restored and Matt Frad and um different people. We need to approach this like it's an addiction, like like, like the addiction it is, with you know of uh, the seriousness that we would with emotional trauma, that we would with like tragic things that like that happen in people's lives. It needs that kind of weight that you know like um kind of like severity because this is one reason why I think um, we had a really popular episode a, cu- a couple a couple of months ago called Everyone Screwing Everyone and uh, and um nobody's talking about it. Basically how within like within a lot of like young adult Catholic communities you have this hookup culture. And it's and it's you know alive and well, just like adding a bit of alcohol, and it just you know uh, comes forth out of the darkness, and uh, it's a result of this because people are still addicted because they ha- they you know have these addictions here, and it's going to manifest itself in other ways. So like, and I think that's that's the part that you don't really start to realize until you know you're like older how it impacts your family, other ones, and you're just like outlook towards life, all of the lost time that you have, how it can impact your career, your on the job and all this stuff. So Well that's what I learned more than anything. When I was sixteen, praise God that the Lord gave me some insight into my life and into my future at such a young age. But uh, I came to realize that like the masturbation pornography was completely numbing my ability and capacity to love. And and that's ultimately what it does is is because I I can imagine people would be listening to this podcast and saying you know what this isn't really an issue for me I just do it at sometimes or like I really don't see what the big deal is uh, you pornography and masturbation at the end of the day it conditions you to use other people to gratify yourself which is the complete opposite of what we're made for and, and you never really see the effects of it until you try to enter into love your relationships it, what you just pointed out with regards to catholic young adults like uh, screwing each other a uh, hookup culture uh, I mean, what you have are a bunch of Catholic young adults who are likely lonely, who are likely seeking love and, and desire love. And what do they do? They compromise. Uh, instead of, of looking for uh, the love and, and keeping that standard high, uh, they fall for the cheap imitation of it. Uh, and, and so that's how people end up in, in hookup culture to begin with. Is like, well, I can't, I can't find the love that I'm looking for. So let me just sell myself short in terms of of looking for a, a piece of what love should feel like. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's not so much the. Um, it's yeah, you're right. Because it's like not the sex part that's necessarily. I mean. Okay, I've, I'm doing a really terrible job in the past. Like, with a, well, let's, let's be honest. My like whole life of pu- of putting things the right way. So I so I have to be careful here and the booze isn't helping. Um like one thing that I always hear is like from like certain people who maybe like don't agree is they'll say, well it's just it's like just sex. It's just sex. Like why are you freaking out about this? It's just it's just sex. And and there's problems like I agree. And the problem isn't necessarily the sex. The problem is what the sex does to you. You know, it's and that we tend to forget I think we, we tend to pay attention so much to the act it, itself that we don't really take the time to think about what does the act do to me as a – like why is masturbation wrong? Is it because it's wrong to feel good out of marriage? You know, like, like I mean, do you have to have that to, – to have like that kind of a pleasure? Is it wrong to experience that outside of like – outside of marriage? 
it's the problem is that it turns you inwards that it, that it makes you selfish that it makes you it, it, it like reduces almost sex it takes away the gift part and what happens when you do that is it's is that over time doing that over and over again really messes you up that's the sin that's why it's wrong because of how it screws you up i, I try to constantly remind myself about that and others because of um, – I think it helps when, like, I do that. It, it helps frame the conversation in a certain way so it's not just this weird, like, botanical thing, that it's actually grounded in reality as opposed to these abstract absolutes, which is, an, which is kind of an oxymoron. But I think you guys know what I mean, hopefully. The big thing with – the big thing with – I mean, we cannot command our emotions. I can't say, be happy now. I mean, we can do some things to kind of egg an emotion out. And it's true of all of our passions, our faculties, right? These powers that we have, physical, spiritual, all because we're embodied spirits, all of our physical realities have a spiritual effect, and our spiritual realities have a physical effect. You can't just rip – like people think um, – I was just listening to some stupid clip from a show, and they said, yeah, man, I'm a believer, the – the dust jacket of a book is like our body, and once that's gone, it's the real thing that's inside. And I was like, this is literally the opposite of Christianity. The <laughs> idea the that – Right, right. But, the, the, but at, I mean, saying that if you were to say the soul is inside the body, no, the body is inside the spiritual soul. And when you start to view it that way, um, you start to see how um, w- with people these addictions, habits, behaviors – all of these things have these components that so overlap so powerfully um, in, in people's lives that the the ways that we need to start approaching addiction within the confessional, I think like – I feel like a lot of priests get it and a lot of like priests who do confessional work, like I feel like they get it. I feel like – Oftentimes, like certain institutions, catechetical materials don't get it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I have before I attained the age of reason. I was so you can't command your emotions or your or your passions, but you can train them. And vice is training your emotions and your passions in the wrong way to the point where you delight in something that destroys you. And drugs is a very easy thing to point. Pornography is difficult to point at, especially for secular people, because they don't see how it destroys you. When you accept a a uh, permissive culture, you accept that sex is total. It's so it's sex is no big deal. Well, if it's no big deal, then why is it everywhere? Because it's a big freaking deal, right? But the the problem is we're training our passions with pornography. And that's part of the problem that I think people don't see. Like the idea of virtue is your passions are in union with your will and your intellect. And the good is easy and it's pleasurable. It's, it's, it delights you. It's joyful to do the right thing. But the problem is our whole culture is trying to train us to indulge, indulge, indulge. And when you're 10 years old and you sign on to the Internet, you hop on the Internet to do a report and you type in, you know, any search term into Google and then, you know, maybe you type in something a little bit racy, like you're curious, like you type in like girls in bikinis or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're clicking, clicking, clicking. And now you're in pornography. Like people don't understand, like we are training ourselves for a thing. We are, we are training that pixels produce arousal and not persons. And those pixels, I mean, these persons have to be perfectly shaped, you know, and according to my fetish, my desires that have been trained on this thing, which is literally fed by any type of vulgar, violent, you know, types of pornography. What, what was the line that Matt Fratt said? Something like out of like 3,800 Im- um, clips of pornography that researchers viewed, it was like 83% depict violence against women in, in varying levels. And even when it's even when it's uh, lesbian pornography, there's still elements of violence of women against women. And it's like, this is what we're training ourselves on. And then no wonder we leave our, I mean, we, we want to be good, beautiful, wonderful Catholics. And then w- there, there is literally a war from the moment we, wa- Everett, I think it was you that said, wasn't it you that gave the, the war analogy? 
Like you have like an unjust war and a priest gives a homily shaming the men who go off to this war. And it's like, they're just devastated by PTSD. Like that, this is not the right approach. And it's like, pornography is like everywhere. The pornographic impulse, the training of our passions. And, and so often from our institutions, you get, well, try harder. Don't masturbate. Don't look at porn. And you're like, try. I've spent my whole life doing this essentially, like going towards this end. Yeah, by the way, I don't recall having said that analogy, but I will happily take credit for it. So Yeah, I know I think it was you. I think it was you and I stole it for years. And <laughs> okay. years. Well there you go. And every and everything you said, and I, I love everything that, that you shared. And I would say though that unfortunately for the the for women who struggle with this issue, the church has really failed at, at helping us. But also I think what I'm really hopeful for is to help train our priests to know how to better, uh, just minister to women through this issue. I feel like I've had some incredible confessors and and men who know how to walk with me and men who just don't know how to go there because of that, that the awkwardness, quote unquote awkwardness that I feel like our culture still has with women. And so helping, helping our priests, helping our ministers, helping our church really um, come alongside women in this struggle is a huge desire of mine as well for them to, for us all just to be lifted up as, as Jason Everett puts it, this is not a male issue. This is a human issue. Like understanding our sexuality, understanding these addictions, understanding where we're putting, putting our, like you said, our virtue versus of the vices there. Um, yeah, I think it's it's incredibly important. My prayer for the church, and I think this is starting. I mean, it's not like my prayer. It's not because of this, but it's it's just it's a thing that I have seen, and I'm like, holy crap, we need this now. Is that we we begin to approach this attitude as how do we bring about healing for the walking wounded? So as opposed to this, as opposed to trying to scare everyone about the stuff, as opposed to trying to warn them or like point out that it's bad. How can we approach this from a place of you need healing? As opposed to, um, you know, you need to be scared of this or you're bad if you do this or, you know, like, um, and I don't think we are there yet, but I, th- I do think that, that it's starting um, at the change. And one thing I will add, just to make sure it's said, when going to counseling, because that's something that we've talked about healing, we've talked about professional help and how deep these wounds can go. Obviously, a necessary component to a lot of these addictions is going to some form of counseling, which is luckily no longer taboo in our culture, but still a necessary component. But I will always say going to a Christian and hopefully a Catholic counselor is imperative. Um, The amount of women I've talked to who go to secular counselors who recommend pornography and masturbation as... Uh, as, as a tool to help them with their trauma is is startling, and so um, it's it's crazy. Just the culture we're in no longer is just saying sex is okay, but actually promoting it as a tool to recover from other traumas. And I, I had a young lady I was working with, and she said that she she went to counseling for self harm, and her counselor recommended pornography and masturbation. And I said, "Oh, great! How'd that turn out for you?" She's like, "Well, I'm addicted to both now. She she does the cutting and yeah. the the pornography." And so yeah, sure I had a friend who, who struggled with anxiety, and in the top ten ways to cure anxiety, porn and masturbation was like number three or four. You know, it's like it's crazy. Oh, so you're feeling really anxious? Go masturbate, then you'll be tired and exhausted and spent. And it's like, yeah, but now I got a whole other yeah. different problem. To you'll just with. be too lazy to go and do anything, so you're fine now. Yeah. Are you anxious? Smoke the weed. <laughs> And not just enough to just kind of relax, but like a lot, like enough <laughs> to the point where you change your preference in, in music. <laughs> enough to the point where you get a black like poster. However, well, it's, like, bl- it's like treating alcohol addiction with cocaine. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. not going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might get rid of the, the uh, drunkenness feeling, but then you got a, a much bigger problem. But now they're a Wall Street magnet and on coke. Right. <laughs> Oh, it is awful. So uh, what, um, speaking from the place of your book, does your book speak to, like, should a confessor read your book or should, you know, a high school, college, you know, whatever, 
uh, a woman read your book? Who is it geared towards primarily? A confessor should read the book and then purchase thousands of them and hand them out in the confessional. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I would definitely say, I mean, to all the above, primarily it's going to go after, we say, women 14 and above. Um, Honestly, I would say earlier, but, you know, you've got to make sure parents and ministers are approving it. Um, but, But I think a confessor could read it just to understand more fully the female side. Like I said, it's, it's very similar to the men's side, but because we think it's different, sometimes it's helpful to read what would be claimed as the woman's side and recognize it's the same. Um, so I think that can be really helpful. And, and yeah, and for us, we've talked about this many times, like we didn't put this book together cause we want to sell the book and just get our names out there and whatnot. Really, this is on our hearts to help others. And for me giving these talks to thousands every year, so many women, I get s- just message after message about two weeks after my talk from women who are like, great, I came home so convicted and now I'm falling back into it. What do I do? Yeah. And and just to give them something written down where they can go back to these truths that they need to be reminded of. Um, and so for a confessor, if he was like, shoot, I don't know how to help these women or they feel they sound uncomfortable on the other side of, of the, the wall, what they can either recommend this book or hand it to them um, is really just a way to help be a guide for women in their journey. It's again, it's not a nicotine patch. It's not going to cure their addiction or anything crazy like that, but it could be a stepping stone to, to helping women seek freedom. So, um, any and all are welcome to read it. I'll say this real yeah. quick too. Uh, we, we published the book with, with Jason Everett's totus to his press. It's available on, on chastity.com. One of the great advantages of publishing with Jason, if you don't know his like publishing model is that his books are dirt cheap. Uh, and so, you know, if you buy a single, single book, it's eight bucks, but you can buy it in bulk for $3 or less. And, uh, and that's great because, um, you know, from discussions we've had at, at other times, Gomer and Luke, that I'm big in, into small group ministry and small group youth ministry and a big advocate for one of my biggest desires is to see people grab uh, this book and start a, a group together and do some group support because, you know, the, if one of the biggest things we highlight is that you should not be walking alone in this. Uh, and, and so the book is, is written in such a way that, and is available in such a way that it is uh, advantageous to buy it in bulk and uh, do it as a group. Uh, and we'll put a link to that in, in to the show notes. And by we, I mean Gomer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Kelsey, closing out um, today's show, what would be uh, a message of hope that you have for um, women who feel like they are stuck in this? I mean, when we started catching foxes, I had no idea the type of audience. I thought it would just be people who were idiots like me and Luke. And I'll never forget, we had a guy on our show, we call him Joey Jojo Shabadoo, and he was uh, basically a, a gay man out of control, and he wanted to talk about his sexual addiction. And we talked about it because he was in seminary, and the, the religious order was like, you need to leave and get some stuff sorted out. And it was a fascinating conversation. And then in the subsequent weeks, we got a follow-up email from a, a woman who was like, on the surface... I am the perfect Catholic mom and wife. But ever since I listened to this episode, I feel like I have to admit to someone, I am a sex addict. I sneak out at night. I meet, I hook up with people I don't know. I am engaged in, you know, horribly, like, you know, like illegal sexual encounters, like all this stuff, or risky, not illegal, risky sexual encounters. And she's like, and for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm not alone. Thank you so much. And so I emailed her back, and I was like, thank you for emailing us. Thank you for being brave and, you know, say, you know, just even saying it to me anonymously over email. She never replied, never said anything. Um, and so I just think of, like, you know, there are probably, you know, I, I mean, statistically what? There's probably, like, 3,000 women who are between the ages of 18 and 25 who are listening to this show, what do you want to say to those who feel like they're alone? What's the message of hope? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, even hearing that story, that doesn't surprise me. The amount of women who come up to me after every talk and share with me their story, 
there's nothing someone could tell me that would shock me at this point of, of what their story is and, and what their experience has been in, in what the culture has given them. And so to know that you're not alone, to know that there's so many women who are right there alongside of you, no matter how far-fetched or crazy or, or down the rabbit hole you think that you are. Um, and to know that there's also, there's hope that there are women who are overcoming these addictions, who are seeking that healing, who are getting to the root of the issue that's going on in their heart. And they're finding this freedom and this fulfillment that exists for them. And I think that's, that's a lie that we, we think that by losing this addiction, because we've found comfort, because we've found some type of pleasure from it, we're afraid that by losing it, we won't ever have that comfort or that pleasure or that love anywhere else. Like part of our, our being believes that. And so to know that God has a plan for that transformed life, like God is going to fulfill you in every single way. And every woman I know who's been able to just fully give in to that and surrender and say, okay, I know I might still struggle with this. Freedom isn't just about being perfect um, and, and not having any temptations, but to live in the freedom of knowing that that you are fulfilled completely by God alone. Um, there is hope and there's so much to, to, to fight for in this freedom and, and this transformed life. Every, to every man masturbating right now, what's your mess? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, everything Kelsey just said. I mean, I, I think it, it, because it really does go both ways. Um, yeah, I, I would start by saying that, that there is a there is hope. Uh, there is definitely freedom. I remember talking to Kelsey and I were speaking at NCYC, giving a workshop on this and we had a small audience, uh, because it was, you know, not a highly publicized workshop and we aren't like Jason Everett. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, where he had several thousand in his workshop. Really? Yeah. Um, but you know, it was, it was good. And there was a young man who came up to me and he, he, uh, several that came up to me and they, you know, talked about to me about their addiction issues and uh they gave justifications for it and different reasons why they struggled with it and you know they're saying things like i've been stuck on it in it for years and um they just wanted to hear that there was there was it is possible to get out um so even just hearing my own witness and, and saying, look, like, yeah, I struggled with this for this many years. I've been free for this many years. One guy was convinced he's a teenager. He was like, well, doesn't that cause like physical problems in you? Like, doesn't that cause like, won't that cause like cancer, cancer? Right. Right. He's like, I've been told that he's like, I'm like, um, well, I didn't do it for this many years. Um, I do ha now have relations with my wife, but that doesn't uh, happen nearly as off often as, well, we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> but there's a, uh, the, you know, I'm like, I, I do not have testicular cancer. Like, it, it's just. Uh, yeah, so dumb. Yeah, I so mean, it's, dumb. It's, it's so, you know, I think the the beginning of anybody's journey, and if you purchase these books, like uh, Freedom in, in the case of, of the book for men, Uncompromising Purity for Women, this is not a silver bullet. Uh, it's not like a read this book and you will find freedom type of promise. It's it's about a journey and having a guide for the journey and that there's a lot of hard work to be done and there's a lot of self-reflection that needs to be done. And hopefully this book can be a companion to you as you uh, step out in, into the, the difficult struggle. But freedom is absolutely possible and it's amazing uh, on, on the other end of it. Uh, so... I, I don't know. I guess that would be my message to, to men and women is, is to say, look, I hope you, you listen to this and you realize that there is hope and there is freedom. And the first step is to step out of the shadows uh, and realize that you're not alone. I'll, I'll finish with this one anecdote. Uh, I had a guy email me. And he was like, I've been struggling with this issue for X number of years. Can't remember how many years. I feel like I've tried everything. Uh, and then he, he followed that sentence up with, and you're the first person I've told I, that uh, I have this problem. I'm like, well, then you clearly haven't tried everything. Because that's really the first <laughs> yeah, step yeah. is to know and recognize that there are problems and struggles that are beyond what you can do yourself. And that there are people that are out there to help you. Uh, and so the, the really the in, entire focus of both of these books on compromising purity and, and freedom is to, to say, like, look, we don't want you to feel like you're alone. We want to give you a guide and a companion for the journey. Uh, 
This has been awesome. Thank you, guys. This has been really good. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, where can people find you guys on the interwebs? Well, if women want to connect, uh, Kelsey underscore Skoke is my Instagram handle. So at Kelsey underscore Skoke. And then uh, KelseySkoke.com if they're interested in hearing about speaking or booking me for anything, interviews, things like that. So those are probably the best two places to find me. Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I got rid of my Instagram because reasons. Um, and, uh, and you can find me on at evertfritz.com or at standrewmissionaries.org, which is my apostolate that I run. Great. How about you, Gormley? Gomer. Gomer. He may have got he may, that, that, <laughs> he may have got uh, he may have got pulled out by his wife or something, or he's dead. <laughs> Sorry, dog. Oh, dog. <laughs> I was trying to find my phone, and then remember about I was a half hour ago, that, I dropped it. Yeah, I was worried that we were going to have to start the whole interview over because you were, like, <laughs> gone for the last half hour or something. No, sorry. Dog started yelping because it can hear me in here because we have a freaking puppy as well as four kids because that's a good life choice. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got talked into two of those. Biggest mistake in my life. Children or puppies? Puppies. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I don't regret my children. Say that now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because they may one day be listening to this. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not regret my. I love my children dearly. So my dogs, on the other hand, not so much. But but my my dogs love my children, and my children love my dogs, and that's why I got them. And that's what matters. Yep. Let me tell you guys a quick story. Can I tell you guys a quick story? You ready for this? Sure. No one cares. Yes. Great. Go for it. <laughs> I had to yell at a 19-year-old to stop smoking weed today at a Chick-fil-A. And it was quite possibly the most the most wonderful <laughs> moment of my life. What happened? <laughs> so wait, were you in Denver or? <laughs> <laughs> You'd think. No, this guy called distraught at the parish. And so I went to go. Um, I was chit-chatting with him on the phone. I was like, listen, this is too complicated. We, we need to meet in person. Can I go take you out for a cup of coffee? And then I found out that he's 19. And he's like, you want to meet at a Chick-fil-A? <laughs> I was like. Yes. And so we met, and uh, he was telling me about how, you know, his whole world is falling apart, and it's everyone else's fault, and it's all these things. And the whole time, I'm thinking, you started this off by telling me (laughs) that this was the worst year ever because you had this case against you for smoking weed, and all your friends smoke weed, and all you ever do is smoke weed. So we're talking about all these different stuff, and at the end, I'm leaving, and I turn around, I'm in the parking lot, and I go, and one more thing, stop smoking weed. He looked at me, he's like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) I got my car and with my frosted uh, coffee. And the the mom with her two kids, like, just totally horrified as she's walking by. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a Tuesday in Colorado. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. That's the one thing I don't miss about Colorado is the smell of weed just everywhere. Yep. Everywhere. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. uh, We are catching foxes. Unless we get sued, and then we're John Doe and John Doe B. <laughs> uh, we'd like to welcome uh, our what? like overlords. All right, uh, 